0: What up, man? Sit down. I'm Ray Ray all day.
1: Oh, man, I'm digging that cowboy hat, right? like hey. I'm loving that, man. You look like a, like a blue cowboy hat. Strap, Strap in. in. You're not doing a good job at your job. You know what I'm saying?
0: Uh, you know, need your mama's permission. This is the Battle Podcast. Battle Podcast. Better than hey, not everybody can pull it off.
1: now, your host. What up, man, and welcome to the battle. I'm your host,
0: Money Jack. And I'm Fritz, and Ray Ray is not here today.
1: Yeah, Ray Ray is not here all day. I'm going to tell you that much right now. He's actually off spending some time with his daughter. So I guess- Imagine gonna...
0: that, being dad a good dad. Something. Yeah,
1: I mean, trying to be a better man. Kind of sucks for us. We have nobody to rag on tonight.
0: Ah, uh, well, I'll be a good moving target. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, I I say that, and yet uh, we—I don't want to, you know—glide over the top that we get uh, a special guest here tonight. So he'll be more than fun to mess with tonight, since Ray Ray all day is not going to be with
0: us. Yeah, Ray Ray all day. Well, listen, have a good day, Ray Ray. We do miss you. Yeah, we love you, sorta kinda.
1: Yeah. Well, don't worry, we'll be better without you. I'm just kidding.
0: But I'm going to do your (laughs) job tonight, and I'm going to announce that we are in two more countries.
1: Unbelievable.
0: Mexico and
1: the Philippines. Man, I'll tell you what, how many we got in each one of those, Fritz? Uh, I think it's like uh,
0: one. one?
1: <laughs> what is with us in that one, I man?
0: Don't,
1: I don't know. I mean, we, we keep going. At least we got the UK, we got one. Uh, Australia, we got one. We got one in India. We got one in the Philippines. And now we got one in Mexico. That's it.
0: What up, Governor? <laughs> what up, Governor? Good I, I, I really thought just somebody, even with your imitations, they'd be pissed off. They'd email. Well, I was hoping. Nobody's that. got the guts to email.
2: Don't Dog know, what's up, it.
0: What's up with these dudes, man? You drive an ice cream truck or you're a beer sponsor, please. TheBattlePodcast at gmail.com. Yes, sir.
1: Oh, also, good news. Good news, too, that our, we actually've got our Battle Podcast business cards out.
0: Yeah, we do. We do, and T-shirts on the way, from yeah. what I hear. Yes, yeah. so we'll be putting
1: them on the web page. Uh, so you know, if you've been listening to this podcast since the first episode and you're with us on this journey, you just might be the lucky owner
0: of a new Battle Podcast T-shirt. So I'm talking about. Yeah. Hey, we're a free resource. Hand yeah. us out. Pass us out. Share the word. Yeah, we're not asking you for anything. Just email no, just us. Just an email, in a while. by God. The love of God. Come on, man. Jeez. We're all the men at, hey, these are, We're all the men at. These are fancy cards. You know, they got this yeah. uh, QR thing. Well, you know, I, my buddy helped me out with that. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's going to be I've here. seen him at a gas pump once. I don't know. Yeah,
1: yeah that and $5 to get you a tank of gas. But uh, he's going to actually be with us next week. Um, that's Joe Burke. He's going to be our special guest next week. So Joe
0: Burke. Joe, Joe Burke. I can't get wait get to see Joe. Yeah, Joe's
1: going to be with us next uh, week. Also known as Joe Bo Cop.
0: Ooh, Joe Boca.
1: Yeah, Joe Boca. I like it. But this week we got a special guest. We got a, a, I say friend, but he's not a friend. He's more like family. So, And that is uh, Josh Griffin. And he's also got his own little special name at my house. We call him Damn
0: It, Josh. Damn It, Josh. Damn It, Josh. It's I like the, it. Yeah, I mean, so. It's easy to remember. Josh, welcome to the Battle Podcast, my man. Josh, welcome, man. Welcome oh, man, to the show.
2: It's, it's an honor and a privilege to be on here with you guys, man. I <laughs> oh, really love the show. Oh, he's already started
0: with bullshit already, don't you? No, I really All love right, this man, show. When you get that southern draw like that, man. You know, you're in trouble, <laughs> hey, man, And, you and now you know why I am <laughs> glad to be on the show, man.
1: Now you know why I call him Damn It Josh right there. Damn it, Josh. Don't start that now. Don't start <laughs> yeah, it. I need people to keep me in line. It'll start none. It won't be none, right? <laughs> That's right. Well, Joe, uh, Joe, Joe, I'm thinking about Joe Cop now. What's the hell's the matter with me? Josh. I think it's important for you to just spend a little time right off the rip. Why don't you tell our listeners how you and I got to know each other and how we met? Oh, okay.
2: Um, Well, that's simple enough. Uh, I actually started attending. I moved up here to Claremont, where you live, back when I, me and my son decided to make a move to come up here. He, he had a girlfriend up here, and he wanted to try a serious relationship with her. So we moved up here to Claremont. Oh, hold on, hold going, on.
1: So I'm trying to get this straight. You moved up here so your son could have a serious relationship well, with Well, he's,
2: he's never lived on his own oh, before. Okay. All right, so I'm make he sure. just turned 18. He wanted to go move in with this girl. Okay. And you know. And you wanted
1: to be a chaperone.
2: Basically, like- <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, you know, it's like, I, I told myself, I was like, I was like, are you sure you know what you're doing? I said, once you sign that lease, <laughs> The man? ultimate placation. I said, once you sign that lease, I said, that's it, bro. I said, you're locked in for a year. I said, what if you break up in six months? Yeah. Because she gets on your nerves or vice right so versa. you were the insurance policy. <laughs> Basically. Oh, okay. I was to make mm-hmm. sure that he okay. had a way out. Okay. But, like um, a good you
0: know, neighbor, father's there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Hey, okay. some, yeah. Sometimes we got to do things we don't like to make sure our kids Who are you okay. Who talking
0: to? Josh at State Farm. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, Josh at State Farm,
0: boy.
1: Damn it, what Josh What are you wearing, Josh?
2: Khaki. <laughs> <laughs> So you moved up here so you you moved moved and, and it just so happened that the church was right behind our apartment called real life. So, you know, I, I was at this point in time, I, I've been trying to get back to church and, um, uh, you know, I'm just trying to do some new things with my life and turn my life over a little differently. So right. I decided to start attending this church real life. I asked my son, you know, Hey, there's church real life behind this. is this where you used to go when you were 10 years old? He's like, yeah. I said, well, would you go back with me? He said, okay. So, uh, so that was my inspiration to definitely get up and go. You know, I could get him to go with me. So I got him up and we went to church. And and sure enough, I just happened to be one of those guys that likes to sit down by the front row. And when I got down to the front row, you and your family were already sitting there. Oh, big, big mistake. You
1: don't want <laughs> to oh, sit behind me, brother,
2: because so, it's coming. Yep. So, so I, had I basically had to sit in the, in the second row, which is the row behind your family. And uh, you turned around, you greeted me, and we got to talking for a minute. And uh, then you, uh, you you told me, you said, hey, man, I said, uh, uh, you know, we got a men's group that meets on Monday nights. And um, that's about all it was, you just, 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 a, just a, a brief touching moment of you just introducing yourself to me and your family and, and and letting me know about this this men's group that you guys were doing on Monday nights. Um, I went that afternoon, I came back to church for, you know, the little introduction into the church and uh, became a member of the church, decided to become a member of the church. And about two weeks went by, and, and I just had this itching in the back of my head. So yeah, go try the men's group. What's gonna hurt, right? One night if you don't like it, you don't go back. Yeah, I mean, yep. So I, I went. I it's went. It's like
1: riding a roller coaster. Yeah, like it, Don't do it again,
2: right? Exactly. It's so itching. I, I went. Yeah. I went that Monday night, and uh, and sure enough, I I sat there, and you greeted me at the door. You're but well, Hey man, I'm sure glad you, you you came, and and um, man, after that it was just history, she man. If I only knew him back then, <laughs> what I knew him. Damn it. Woo.
0: Oh, we God. all tend to say that when we meet Johnny.
1: Yeah. The rest it. was history. That's it. <laughs> it's kind of funny though, because we we didn't know each other for very long at the men's group. And you actually had run into a, a situation where you were needing a place to stay. And yeah. I, I really didn't know, I think at that point in time, the history of of what was going on with you. I didn't really know the intricacies of your life. So um, but I got to know you pretty quickly. Uh, through talking with you and meeting at the men's group and everything else and found out that you were in a situation where your, your landlord was getting ready to sell the house you live.
2: Right. Yeah. And, um, when my, when my son and his girlfriend decided to split 10 months into the relationship, <laughs> Shocker. 10 months into the lease, and uh, he decided to, you know, he couldn't live in the same house that she was living in now she's got a new boyfriend. So he moved back to his mom's. <laughs> a new boyfriend. Yes. Sir. Wow. Yeah,
0: he, yeah that he, makes it he tough. He basically Josh. moved back to his mom's uh, or whatever. I wouldn't have bet 10 months, man. I was a yeah. betting man.
2: Exactly. Longer yeah. but, uh, than I would have thought. He got he got out of there and uh, so I stayed two more months till Lisa's up. And then I, he found out you were a new boyfriend? No. Nah. Oh, no, okay. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but I did. I did. I found a nice little house to live and I was living there. But, I was there maybe on the year's lease, probably five months. And all of a sudden I got a letter in the mail saying, Hey, the house is on the market. We're selling it. You need to be out in 30 days. Um, And it's kind of weird because I spent every day of those 30 days trying to find another place to live.
1: Yeah. and And the crazy thing was, like I said, I didn't know your history, didn't know much about your background. And then when you and I kind of got talking, it's when you kind of let me know kind of what your situation was, you know? Right. And so uh I think it's important to share that with our listeners, because it really is what really shaped the dynamics of what was going on and really put an emphasis on why you really needed a place to stay.
2: OK, Um, well, that's, that's simple enough. Like I said, when I when I got that letter, I spent about 30 days trying to find a place to live. Um, the hard part is I'm a convicted felon. Yeah. Um, I'm out on parole from prison. And, um, you know, I have to let people know that because I'm a registered convicted felon here in the county. And uh, you'd be surprised how fast somebody changes the tone of their voice for the phone call once that comes out in the conversation. Um, it's normally either an instant, instant hang up or well, we have other applicants we're looking at, too. We'll give you a call back. But the call back never happens. Uh, it's just a lot of slam doors. Um, and I remember feeling at that moment just defeated. You know, like, you know, I'm, I'm doing everything I can. Why can't I just catch? a break where, you know, right. just, just, I just need one chance, one break. Um Yeah. And I, I remember we, I'd went over and picked you
1: up a couple of times and took you over to meet with some folks to uh try to get some apartments. And cause you know, I said, Hey, if you need some help, I'll drive you or whatever. Yep. And so, and uh yep. I got the opportunity firsthand to see how the conversation changed real quick. And you know, in all fairness, we're going to be honest. I mean, it's hard for people to wrap their head around it. There's obviously a fear of the unknown and there's a, you know, There's a reservation that most people have. I mean, right, wrong, or indifferent. It is. It is what it is. You know.
2: Exactly. And I and I and I can't I can't fault nobody for that. And I'm not I'm not even going to try to. You know, I I made my bed. I have to lay in it. You know, I'm I'm a grown man. I got to accept them responsibilities. Um, but it doesn't make it any less difficult. You know, um, it still makes it still difficultly hard to to find a place to live and, um. Being on parole, you can't be homeless in the state of Florida, especially since I'm on parole in Georgia. So I'm a visiting parolee on, on supervised visitation, basically here in Florida. Um, so Florida has a responsibility to make sure that I have a place to live, a roof over my head, all that kind of stuff, job, whatever I need to have, according to them. Um, the problem is, is that the problem is that we, uh, we as grown men don't don't take everything the way we want to. Uh, it's hard to. Uh I'm sure it's hard to wrap your head around it. You're trying in your
1: mind. You're trying to get your life together. You're trying to straighten things out and move in a positive direction. And right now, you're just trying to find somebody to give you an opportunity to catch a break. And I guess it was uh, the I guess the last time I'd taken you to go see a place, you uh, and you kind of got uh, rejected. I could see it in your face and you and I had a conversation before I dropped you off at, at your house and, and you were feeling really rejected in, in, in a very dark place. And, and I remember looking at you and you were like, I just don't know, man. It's just, every time I try to take it one step forward, I feel like I'm going backwards.
2: Yeah. it's. A, I remember that day. Actually, I remember that day really clearly. Uh, we went to go see this, this lady. She, I remember she, she wouldn't even let me in her house. She opened her garage door to meet me at a, at a, in a chair in her garage um, to have the interview. And, uh, I remember getting back in the car and and uh, just from the conversation I had with her and, I, and I, was, I just felt like, what's the point anymore? You know what I'm saying? It's the only answer I can find is a no. So why am I looking? Right. And um.
1: Well, you had said something to me that day that really stuck with me. You just said that sometimes I feel like I don't even want to be here anymore. Yeah. And I remember having that conversation, going, "Well, Josh, man, man calm, mm-hmm. slow down a little bit now. I know it's tough right now. You just got to hang in there and." Things are going to happen, and things will turn around for you. And and I know you were at a place you were like, "Nah, it's, it's not." And um, but you know,
2: well, that place I was in is, is 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 really simple to explain. Uh, here's the way it works on parole: the moment you don't have a place to live, you violate. So therefore, they automatically send me back to prison. And here's what I knew: I knew I had at that point like three days left, to either find a home or go back to prison. Um. I promised my kids that that would never happen. I'd never go back to prison. I would do whatever it took to make sure that didn't occur, that I didn't leave them again, you know, that I didn't abandon them. And uh, so I felt like I was not just failing me, but I was failing the only people that I cared about. Um, And I just felt like the world was just kicking me while I was down and laughing about it at that point. So. Yeah, I mean, I, at that point, I was like, you know, what's the point of me even being here? You know, if all that life is going to give me is crap anyway. Yeah, and I remember
1: looking at you thinking to myself, man, this brother's in a tight spot. And I went home and I spoke to my wife and I said, you know, this dude's needing a place to stay. God, I really kind of put it on me. He's like, you know, you got a spare bedroom. What are you going to do about it? And I was like, oh, we didn't really want anybody living in our house. And long story short, though, we ended up having you come on in and you Live with us for like six months. Yep. And so in that course of that six months, we really grew our relationship and we've really grown together as, as brothers and, and, uh, strengthened that. And I think it was a great opportunity for, for both of us to learn something in life as men that, you know, it's easy to talk the talk. It's harder to walk the walk. And it's easy to get up there and talk about, well, if your brother needs help or he, he reaches out, you know, you should always be there, you know. But when, when you're staring down the barrel of a loaded gun, so to speak, you got to make a decision. What, what are you going to do?
2: Exactly. And
1: you know, it's like, you know, it's saying either to shit or get off the pot. Right. And that's kind of what I told Candy. I said, you know, this guy needs, he needs somebody to help him. He needs somebody to show him what true love is and what a relationship and a brother is. And so, you know, long story short, you came to stay with us for six months. I mean, well, we had some good times, and I guess that's where you got your nickname. Damn it, Josh! Because <laughs> I remember coming out into the man cave and you'd be sitting there. I go, "Damn it, Josh!" You, know? well, you
2: had to have someone to watch <laughs> Lord of the Rings with you. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> but what I want to touch on tonight too is is that you know take a kind of a step back because you, you've had you know a little bit of a crazy life, and you've gone through a roller coaster of not only just emotions but trials and tribulations and setbacks and. I think it's important because there are guys that are out there right now to listen to this podcast and they may be in a very dark spot right now, or they may be in a hopeless situation where they don't see a lot of light at the end of the tunnel, you know, and they think, well, you know what, it's over, I'm done. And uh, they want to quit. And so let, let's rewind a little bit because I want you to kind of tell a little bit of the history of how you ended up in prison and kind of how that journey's taking you through the rest of your life and how you've been restored in certain areas. And even though you've been restored, there's still been setbacks. I mean, right. I mean we talk about that all the time. I mean, hell, we, we talk to each other, see each other once a week anyway, because I gonna pick you up on Monday
2: nights and take you over to the men's group. Makes you keep you right, boy. But all the time, baby. So, um, so you want me, you want, you have, how far back? You want me to I start? just want want you to, what got you,
1: when did you start going down that spiral down that path in your youth to get you to where you're at? I know that,
2: one of the but, things you talked to me about was drugs. So yeah, it was. It, um, here, I, I guess this is the best I could, I'm probably about seven, eight years old. Um, I remember, you know, I had, I had, you know, you got to keep this in mind too. I had good parents. Um, my dad was was tough, physically tough on on us boys. You know, he didn't. My dad grew, you know, he was kind of the guy. You know, you don't. If my daughter, my sister did something wrong, mama, mama punished her dad didn't punish her because you physically never, anyway. yeah, physically because right. you don't hit a girl and yeah, that so. that that's just the way dad was. But us boys, that was different. If we screwed up on you know, dad, you know, a whole old Irish Catholic growing up, you know, so, you know, we get knocked out, but <laughs> yeah. needless, to, needless to say though, I had good parents though. They taught us, you know, drugs are bad, alcohol, but, you know, the, the things that, you would want as a parent to, to, to try to teach your kids right from wrong. And I, and I think that's and them so, for them.
1: so important what you just said, because a lot of times people want to make this assumption that, you know, hey, you know, you grew up and you, you dabbled in drugs or alcohol. You must have had a bad home life or your parents weren't good parents or maybe you were abused or mistreated or whatever by your by your folks. But in your situation, you had two good parents. Yep. And I think that's so important because. Like I said, so many people want to sit back and, and and point fingers and make excuses or say it's somebody else's, you know, actions that have caused us what to do. But, you know, uh, my experience talking to you is in and, and dealing with you is that it was complete opposite. You know, you lived in a good home.
2: Yeah, I did. I, I grew up in a good home. And as a, as a child, I didn't want from that. My dad was an actor in Hollywood for 34 years. So whatever we wanted, we got it. But my dad also taught us what a value of a dollar was. So once we got a little older, it was, okay, you want something other than what's your birthday or Christmas? Okay, cool. I need you to do this chores around the house or do this. So, so we understood that to get something other than a gift from somebody, you had to earn that money to get that, to, to buy that. You know what I'm saying? The, the things didn't just come free in life. Nothing just came for free. Um, so I guess
1: the million dollar question would be then, so how are you exposed to uh, drugs
2: or alcohol at the age of seven? Well, I was I was an accident child. I was not expected to be coming. I was, I was surprised. So my brother, who's older than me, is five years older than me. And my sister's seven years older than me. So by the time I hit eight, nine, well, they were already teenagers and into the into the partying and things like that and doing things they shouldn't do. And, of course, for me, it was, oh, well, if you don't let me do it, too, I'm going to tell mom and dad. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Because I just wanted to be really, it was just I just wanted to be cool, like my brother and sister. You know, I wanted to be cool. So if they're doing it, smoking and drinking, then it must be cool and I want to do what they're doing. And um, then I took the first sip of a wine court and I was like, oh, that actually tastes good. Mom and dad were lying. And that's where it started. The moment I the moment in my head I convinced myself that my parents have been lying to me, it was, what else are they lying to me about? And then it became a curiosity thing. Oh, you ain't never smoked pot before? Here, try this. Oh, you've never done coke? Here, try this. And the more things I found that I liked, the harder it became to stop doing anything at all.
1: Yeah, but I guess the other question would be, you know, most of the time people, you know, obviously alcohol and drugs and things like that, they're they are a number. They they kind of bring you down. They make you relax or make you feel good. I mean, was there something that you were
2: trying to find in this? I mean, what were you trying to? For me, it was a, it was kind of an escape mom. You know, my, my brother was the favorite brother. Um, my sister was the princess and I was just in trouble all the time. So for me, it's like, I got picked on, you know, I always get in trouble for things that they would do because, you know, they they're, they're going to, my parents believe them before they believe me, all different sorts of things. So for me, drugs was an escape from the, the way I felt from the things going on in my life, you know, I like, I know when I was seven, eight years old, um, you know, I had a very personal thing happen with one of my older brother's friends that, that, um, you know, made me feel like there was something wrong with me too. And so it's, it's these feelings that keep building up and eventually you get to the point where you don't like the way you feel anymore. And you want to just change that. And so that's it's, where it's, drugs it's rooted kind
1: in. of in an insecurity and inadequacy or, you know, being in a situation where you don't feel like you're enough. And so, you're trying to get that feeling of feeling good, right? You know, people use the term numbing it, but at the end of the day, it's trying to take a bad feeling and make it feel good for
2: you. Exactly.
1: That makes it. I mean, that makes a lot of sense because there's there's probably some listeners out there right now that are listening to us and you guys are out there doing the same thing. I mean, you know, in your case, Josh, it was obviously drugs and alcohol, but for some other men, you know, it's work, you know, it's, it's hobbies, it's money, it's possessions. I mean, we all medicate this thing differently, you know? And exactly. I think that's, what's important to get that point across to men that it looks different for everybody, but it's still the same issue. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? And so obviously, you know, you went through this stage where you were doing drugs and alcohol. So when did you get into the state of like being rebellious and finding yourself, getting in trouble with the law and things like that?
2: Um, we're, that, that actually is funny. Cause when, when you're young and, you, and you're and you into drugs and you, you of course, Find friends that are similar, you know, mind like same, you know, mind like people that do the same things you enjoy to do. So that obviously you're not always paying for it Well, yeah, because as a teenager, it's not cheap. Right. So y'all sharing. Yes, you're all sharing. You make sure you have a good group of buddies that does the same things you do. And, you know, when you put a group of men together as teenagers, they're on drugs when they're together. All's all, the decision-making ability of that group has sorely gone down. Well, yeah, especially when you run out of money. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, you 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 tend to come up with ideas that sound great at the moment until you're in handcuffs and you realize that wasn't really that good of an idea. It's
1: kind of like, you know, when you're younger and you got that one buddy who's got the car, right? Yeah. And everybody's got to scrape together their, their, their chains to put gas in it. So you can, you can go just driving and do something, you know? Yep. And in his situation, in your situation, it wasn't scrounging chains for gas. It was trying to scrounge chains for drugs. Yeah. And so there's a there's a chemical, uh, you know, addiction there. That's a, a much I would imagine a much greater driver to get somebody to want to go out and get that money or be able to do what they can do to get that high. Right.
2: Oh, yeah. Because here, here's what I know. If you run out of gas in your car on the side of the road, all are you're not going to push it to the gas station to get gas. You're probably going to try to figure out if you've got a tank in the back that you can carry or maybe you can call somebody to come give you some gas or get you a ride. <laughs> yeah, but you're not going to get out and push your car to that gas station and get gas. I can't tell you how many times I pushed my truck to the gas station to park it so I could still go get dope. Yeah, That's what kind of addiction I'm talking about. Wow. Where it grabs hold of you in a way that you're no longer you. It makes you do things that you never thought you'd do. Um, I know it took me to a point. I'm 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 terrified of needles. Now I have tattoos, and people are like, "Well, that don't make no sense." No, I don't like tattoos. Either. I love tattoos. I just don't like needles. Anytime somebody sticks something in me that makes me bleed is not good for me. I don't like the way that that makes well, me that's feel. That's a pretty good theory, Josh. Right. <laughs> but but drugs had me such a hold on me that I was shooting up doing things I've never in my life been willing to do. Well, I know I you, couldn't you, to point you told me you were actually running drugs for a while too, yeah. not you? Yeah. I was working for some, some pretty bad people. Um, we, now that is that, what's the term for that? Not, what they call a mule or something? Well, what I did was a little differently because I wasn't really I wasn't moving the drugs per se as I was manufacturing, but I was, I was selling on the side, but I was okay. also making methamphetamines. Oh, okay. So you know, when you when you're doing stuff like that for people, it, it, you know, people look at you a little, a little differently. You have a little bit more clout where you go. Well, um, imagine you have a lot more money too. Oh yeah, you got a big guy. Wallet's it's always full, always full. So you know, at that time, I, I wasn't. I bet you at had home. plenty of friends too, didn't you? Had had yeah. <laughs>
0: <Well, if laughs> yeah. you with the car and all but the money, you got plenty. It's, of it's, it's, yeah.
2: it's funny, man. You got you've got a thousand friends when you're sitting out there in the middle of the game. But the moment they put cuffs on you, you have none.
1: Yeah, I would imagine.
2: Yeah, I and mean, when you get out, they all say you're a traitor, even though you didn't turn nobody in and did six months in jail. That's just the way it is. They obviously assume that unless you did 20, 30 years, you must have snitched on somebody. So you turn from
1: being a mule and turn right into being a rat. Is that what? <laughs> no, I went.
2: I went from being. I went from 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 being. No, I'm not saying you weren't. Were that, but saying they, they assume that you're a rat. Because, yeah, they assume yes. because you if you if you don't you know here's the thing. When you've got money like that, you can hire lawyers to defend you the proper way in court, too. Instead of a public defender who's literally there in my county that I lived in, the public defender was only there to make sure you did jail time. Right. You know what I'm saying? They didn't help you, they hurt you. They're but also,
1: in all fairness, I mean, you told me you'd been arrested how many times? more than I can count. <laughs> so
2: you didn't help your you you case out much, Josh. No, I didn't. I mean, you I'm sure the, the judge out to lunch a few times.
1: I'm sure you when know. you came in the judge said, damn it, Josh. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: Well, the last time we're talking about when I, when, I went, when I went to prison. Oh. Well, before you
1: get there, so what was the breaking point that actually, what happened actually sent you to prison?
2: I got to a point in my life I just lost my second almost marriage. It was my fiance and my little, my youngest daughter's mother. Um, I had a car accident that, that, you know, took me out for a while. I couldn't work. I lost everything. I lost my home. And uh, I'd gotten back into with the pain medications and everything else from the injury. And and next thing I know, I'm right back into the addiction again. I'd quit for a while because I was with, you know, this girl that I loved, and I really wanted to have a good life with her. And then uh, when that all slipped away from me, you know, I went right back to what I knew helped me not feel things anymore. And then when I tried to get off it again, I couldn't. I wasn't selling, but I was still using. And, um, I had all these pills stacked up in the corner in a pill bottle and I wasn't going to take them. I was telling myself, no, you know, you need to fight this. You need to be better. You need to get clean. And, uh, uh, a friend of mine, a female friend who,
1: um, one of them friends that was hanging out when you bought, when your wallet's full.
2: Yep. But, uh, she, she had a two, almost three year old little girl. And, you know, I know her boyfriend was in jail, and and she didn't have no one to help with bills and stuff like that. She's telling me about how she's about to lose her apartment, or her car, and she ain't got money for groceries and stuff. I said, "Well, look," I said, "I'm not taking these these painkillers. I said, if you know somebody that wants them, you can sell them, and keep the money, and that'll pay your bills." And uh, when I went with her to go to go deliver them, I ended up, you know, being drug undercover drug task force. That's what they did. They ended up using somebody close to her. So she me. popped them. Yep. yep,
1: yep. So Somebody you thought you were helping out I ended up helping you. Yep.
2: On your way into
0: prison.
1: Exactly. Which, but the funny thing is, if you, and you know, that was really the best thing that could have
2: happened to you. It was the greatest thing that happened to me. And
1: isn't that honest. crazy? Going to prison for you is the best thing that ever could have happened to you.
2: Yep. But it's, it's, it's funny when you, when you say that, though, John, because most people would think that what you just said, and they're like, that makes no sense. But here's how it makes sense to me. When I got to prison for the first time in my life, going to prison, prison, like I've been you know, to boot camp and I've been in county plenty of times, but I've never been down the road, down the road. And when I got there, I realized drugs, alcohol, everything that I was trying to run and hide from on the streets was more abundant in prison and cheaper than on the street and better quality. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, this is insane. There's no way in hell I'm going to be able to live like this. I remember that night, you know, and here, here's. I guess a part of me I know this is where God plays into my life though is uh, I I remember sitting there my first night I was in the holding cell at the at the prison and uh thankfully that night instead of you know both bunks being full it was just me in there there at night for some reason so I remember thinking to myself I don't know what I'm gonna do like with this much drugs in here like this I said I'm I'm gonna die in prison I mean that was my thought I got ten years to go there's no way I'm gonna live ten years in here like this. So I hit my knees in, in tears, that night. I remember crying out to God and saying, Lord, look, I know you, I mean, you haven't talked in a while. I know you're really not paying attention to me anymore, but I'm at a point in my life where you've either got to take this addiction from me and help me here, or you got to take my life and take me home or send me wherever I'm supposed to go because I can't do this no more. If I wake up tomorrow like this, I've got to go. And I, and, and, and I remember going to bed that night feeling like like my life had come to an end. But I woke up the next day and the addictions were gone, John. I mean, I had no desire for drugs or alcohol. Um, I've gone since being out of prison on parole. I've gone to a bar just to have a drink or two just to see if the, the desire of any kinds there. And, the, and even though the liquor still tastes delicious, I don't even care for it. It's like I could care less if I ever drank another drink again. And this is from coming from a guy who's been a raging alcoholic since he was 13 years old. Wow. Well, the other part
1: of it too is, is you, spent what, uh, out of the 10 years in prison, how many, how many did you actually have
2: to serve? Um, I did close to six. Um, they only gave me credit for like four and a half, five of them, but, um, that was all because of the judge and the people that I had, they kind of, right. you know, deal with daddy on the paperwork and screwed me over a little bit. But at the end of the day, I did almost five years in prison. Um, and when I got out, I was thinking to myself, okay, well, I have turned my life around. I gave it back to God. I'm not. I'm clean. I'm sober. I'm finally going to be on the street. Um, uh, you know, this this is where my life's going to start. And I remember uh, being like day or two before my parole, they called me up to the office in prison, and uh, and they tell me say, "Hey, uh, your parole address has been denied." I said, what? I'm like, yeah, your parole address down in Florida with your mom's been denied. You can't live there. You're a convicted felon. So I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, I I really didn't. They told me I had less than forty eight hours to get them a new eligible parole address, or I'd be spending another six months in prison. Um, and out of the blue, my ex wife, my kids, my two oldest children's mother, decided to submit her address to the prison, and they approved it immediately. And um, you know, you got to understand where I am at in this too. When they when they came and told me where my new parole address was going to be too. I'm thinking to myself, oh, dear Lord, what have I got myself into? <laughs> yeah, because you and your,
1: <laughs> honestly, truthfully, you you and your ex-wife did not get along at all. Matter of no. fact, it was very volatile and, and the relationship just wasn't good. And exactly. so I'm sure, number one, you were shocked. And number two, you had trepidation thinking, is she setting me up for the fall here or what? And so, but I think it's amazing that, you know, here you are, you know, you thinking, okay, I finally got paroled. I'm going to get out. The place you're thinking you're going to stay at gets shot down, and then out of nowhere, the one person or the last person you would think that would give up their address would be your ex-wife shows up and, and and does that for you. And so, not not only do you going to get paroled now, now you get to move back to that area and you get to start to rebuild and reconnect with your kids. Exactly. Cause I know that you know. Obviously, being in prison for almost five years, that must have put a strain on that
2: relationship, right? Yeah, it did. Um, you know, thankfully. My older brother, who who you know, me and him even had kind of a rough relationship before I went to prison. You know, we weren't talking that much because of the way I was living, and he wasn't accepting that. You know, he was he was trying to live a good life and Christian life and do the right thing, and here I am out there destroying my life and every life that comes in front of me. So my brother naturally and me were, were at heads and at you know at each other's throats about that, but. Once I got locked up, things changed. I mean, he started putting money on my books out of nowhere, told me if I need anything. He went and picked my kids up one time from Florida and brought them up just to visit with me for like a, an hour is all I get for visitation. And then after they left there, he took them you know, back to Florida. But, you know, I got to see my kids twice in the five years I was in prison. Um, I, I, as a dad, think I could have gone five years without seeing them at all just because of not wanting my kids to actually see me in prison. Right. Kind of feeling as a dad, but um, it wasn't fair. They wanted to see me, so it wasn't fair for me to say no. Is how I looked at it.
1: Well, I guess at one point in time, it could be like selfishness. You're worried about how you're going to be perceived or how you're seen. It's it's a shame thing. It's an e- it's an ego thing. I mean, it's a pride thing. You know what I'm saying? You're yeah. already you're already feeling bad about where you're at, and then you to be look at your kids. You know, from behind bars, I I, I can get that. But you know, the reason I, I don't want to fast forward too much, but I think it's important that we kind of move a little forward because I think that what I'm seeing throughout this story is, there's always these few steps forward, three steps back, Yep. few steps forward, three steps back. And I know once you, once you get out here, you know, you know, fast forward to when we met, it was another situation where here you are, you're out on parole. You thought everything's going to be going back to normal. You've restored your relationship with your kids. You know, you've, you're going to church, you're getting your life together and then boom, this house situation happens. And now you're looking at being out on the streets. And if you're out on the streets, then you're in and back in prison. And so my question, I guess for you is what has been the biggest struggle for you since you've gotten out of prison? Uh,
2: Since getting out of prison, you know, the, the biggest, the biggest struggle is, is being able to deal with life on life's terms sober. Um, It's not easy because, you know, most places don't want to hire convicted felons. Nearly nobody will rent to a convicted felon.
1: And on top of that, you you don't have a driver's license. I don't have a
2: driver's license. And you don't have a car. It's still suspended for a year and a half. So you either walk or you got to use an Uber Exactly, I either got to walk or Uber everywhere I go. So no matter what I'm doing, I'm either exerting myself more to do it or I'm coming out of pocket more to do it. You know what I'm saying? Nothing in my life comes free. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I, I, except for I, a ride on Monday nights, except for a ride on Monday nights. But, <laughs> but even that's not free. Yeah, right? you get tortured that's not free. I get tortured yeah, you, to work there and yeah, back. You get there and back, man. You go, you go pay one way or the other job. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but that's where, you know, that that's what a lot of people don't understand is that when you get out and you're, you're trying to do things the right way and live life the right way. Um, when, when you've never done that before, it's not easy. That's a complete life change. And then when you don't know who you should ask for help or what you should say to people because you're afraid to tell somebody the truth about you because you don't want to lose them as a friend either because that's the only person you have in your life right now. you making making new friends and new people and trying to get out and, and, and reestablish yourself and have a life again, but always being afraid of what you can and can't say to somebody because you never know how someone's going to take it. Right. Right. Um,
1: so I guess my question is, uh, it, you know, obviously there's somebody that's out there listening to this podcast right now and their, their life is, is in a very dark place and they're, they're hitting bumps left and right. They've got obstacles and they've got roadblocks and, and things like that. What would you say to that person? I mean, say, what, what kind of encouraging words would you say to the man that's listening to this podcast about where they're at and what, what they would, what they should do in this moment? Since you've, I mean, obviously you've experienced a lot of it yourself. I mean, you're still going through it.
2: Yeah, I go through it every day. Um, here, here's what I can say, John. I guess the best way I can say it in layman's terms is what I've learned through my experiences trying to do life the right way and, and, and all the pain and suffering that's come with it on top of that. For the first time in my life, I can look back now at what I've done and I can smile because I've kept picking myself up. When everyone pushed me down, I kept pushing forward and pushing forward. and Eventually, I've... I'm at a place now where I know I'm on a, on the right path. It's just a matter of getting to the end of the road. Um, so it gives me a hope and a peace inside of me when I look back and see that there's not a path of destruction anymore behind me, that I know if I just turn around and keep pushing forward, eventually, hopefully, and God willing, I'll get to be the man that I'm supposed to be. I guess at
1: the end of the day, it really comes down to this. Sometimes in life, Whether we like it or not, men, we just have to be patient, Yep. you know, and and patience is a very difficult thing to wrap your head around because we want what we want when we want it. And we want it now all the time. And so at the end of the day, we have to step back, like you were saying, Josh, and we have to remember where we started from to appreciate where we've gotten. You know, the other night I, or the other day I posted on our Facebook page, the thing about me on the treadmill. And I said, I was looking at the time and the distance. And I said, why do we get so caught up in the time? when we should be focused on the distance and the destination, you know, how long is it going to take us? How far is it our, as the destination is? And that's what we need to be focused on in our lives. Exactly. Far too often we think about, well, what's taking me this long? It's, you know, why isn't this happening right now? Why can't this, you know, why can't I get this break? Why is this so difficult? Instead of just saying focused on the destination, all of us are going in one direction or another. And at the end of the day, we just have to make sure that we stay focused and stay true to what we we, we're looking for is men in our lives. What's the end result that we're seeking in our lives? Listen, the past is just exactly that. It's in the past. As I said before, you know that's why the windshield is so much bigger than the than the rearview mirror in a car. We got to be keen to continually looking forward, because if we get caught looking backwards, we lose sight of where we're going. And if we lose sight of where we're going, we might get ourselves lost and find ourselves in a place that we don't need to be put in. And men, we have a hard enough time keeping ourselves focused as it is. So as we close this podcast, I just want to say, if there's one thing I got from the story of Josh is that's hope. You know, some of you guys sitting out there right now, you think it's over. It ain't over. It's just started. Put one foot in front of the other, stay focused, keep moving forward, quit looking backwards. And if you do that, my friends, your life will dramatically change along with your mind and your heart. Is that my friends? Well, That's where the problem meets the road.